And the other thing about intimacy is it's not about, it's really not about sex. It's about everything else. Mm. Like what is going to make you feel so loved that you're going to walk into the most intimate act that a man and woman can do and be with one another. You have to feel trust. You have mm -hmm. to feel safe. You have to be, feel seen and beautiful and love. There's so many things. And, and so when that trust is broken in the most intimate way, when you feel objectified and used, it takes a lot of effort. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and my guest today is Mary Lenneberg. She has been married for over 35 years, and her and her husband have truly walked through fire. They have endured the highest peaks and the lowest valleys, or whatever geographical metaphor you want to use to describe um, a lot of difficulties, and she shares really, really vulnerably and openly about all that they've gone through and, and how God brought them out of it. And I think you will find this interview very encouraging. Um, I think it shows that no trial, whether interior or exterior, can ultimately destroy a marriage. You know, they have beaten the odds in many respects with what they've gone through. And, and certainly a lot of marriages do crumble when they endure things like child death or addiction or um, caring for kids with disabilities. But I think it's also just a real testament to the power of the sacrament when we really bring Christ into our relationships. So I thank Mary for, for all that she shared on this episode, and I know you will find it very inspiring. Um, an apology because the audio... I, any audio issue I could have had on this episode, I think I had. Um, I did not notice at the time when we were recording that our audio was very imbalanced, my audio and her audio. And then, like, the computer I was recording on kept getting email notifications that I didn't know how to turn off. And then there was a meeting going on in the room outside that I was recording. And um, some of that sound kind of shuffled in. And so I did my best trying to balance things out. I, I spent many more hours than normal trying to edit this podcast to sound as good as possible. Um, hopefully it's just so riveting that you don't even notice um, the audio issues, but I guess just a word of warning. Um, but but I hope, hope you'll still be able to take away a lot from this episode. I did not want it to go to waste. If you are enjoying this podcast, make sure you are subscribed on Apple or Spotify. I'd love for you to leave me a five-star review um, and then follow along at The Crab and the Cross over on Instagram. Also, don't forget you can order Crab and the Cross merchandise, magnets and stickers featuring our lovely logo for just $5 by visiting crabandthecrossmerch.com or checking out the link in the bio. Thank you for listening. And now here's my conversation with Mary Lenneberg. Mary Lenneberg is a full-time Catholic speaker and the author of the best-selling books, Be Brave in the Scared and Be Bold in the Broken. 
She has given keynotes at numerous conferences and has appeared on Catholic radio, TV, and podcasts. She and her husband, Jerry, live in Fairfax, Virginia, near their son, Jonathan, and his family. Their daughter, Courtney, passed away in 2014. Last year, she and her husband launched the Mary and Jerry podcast, where they share wisdom they've learned in their 35 years of marriage. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Such a delight to be here. It is good to meet you. I, I enjoy your presence on, on social media. You add just like, I don't know, like even just looking at you now, like this sort of cheer, cheeriness, you know? <laughs> You're so kind. I love social media. I grew up in an era where we didn't have it. So this is like a whole new uh, version of, you know, just hanging out on in the quad. Right. The yeah, that's a good way to yeah. put it. Yeah, that's a really, it's sort of the public square and people kind of come and, and share what's going on. And yeah, you just, I, I mean, I've genuinely met people in real life that I've met through social media now. So it is like, same. you know, yeah. Same. It's always interesting when you, when you go somewhere and there's other people kind of in your world that are there and you hear your name and you've never met them. And it's yeah. like, my gosh, you know, how are you? It's so good to see you in real life. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I love seeing your husband make an appearance. Um, and, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about, about marriage. I'm doing a few episodes this season on my podcast about, um, marriage. And I want to talk to people who have been through some really difficult hurdles in their life, because I think, um, you know, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. That's where, um, you know, the love is really tested. Um, and, and you and your husband have been through a lot, you know, especially with your daughter, but you seem to have a really genuine like friendship, you know, in addition to love. And so I just want to kind of pick your brain a little bit about your story and, and what you've learned over the years. Sure. Yeah. Friendship is, is a choice. And uh, we have been through quite a bit. And I think every pretty much every major trauma that you can experience as a married couple, we pretty much walk through. So, um, and the Lord has been with us the whole time. And that's the key is that we it is. walk through just on our own behalf. It's been hand in hand with him, even when we didn't really recognize or choose to recognize mm. his presence, he was still with us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so let's go back to the beginning. That's always the fun part. Um, so how did you and your husband meet? So Jerry and I met when he was at the United States Naval Academy. Okay. I lived about an hour and a half away. And I used to have these, uh, we called them mixers back in the day because there weren't enough female midshipmen on campus. So they would oh. ask the local sorority houses and, you know, local college uh, young ladies to come in on a Friday night. And they'd have a DJ and they'd have a, you know, uh, you could get a burger or whatever there in Bancroft Hall, which is the large hall they have. Um, and so a friend of mine happened to be dating a midshipman and he had duty that weekend so we couldn't leave Naval Academy grounds. And of course, being, you know, young and in love, <laughs> I have to see him. So uh, we took kind of like a carload of girls down. Oh my gosh. And Ray, her boyfriend, was in charge of sort of uh, getting all of us dates for the night. So like a blind date. So I met Jerry that night and uh, he was uh, my girlfriend, Christy's blind date. Oh. My blind date didn't show up. <gasps> so Jerry had the good grace of uh, basically escorting both of us and um you know throughout the night we just he made me laugh that was the first thing i remember he was very handsome in his midshipman uh, dress blues mm -hmm. and he made me laugh he made me feel very comfortable 
Um, and I'm tall. I'm five nine, and I was wearing oh. three inch heels. Oh wow! He was six. Yeah, so he was six one. So oh okay. We danced. It was like eye to eye, which was unusual for me. I was usually taller than most of the, the guys that I had dated. So um, yeah, I met him on a blind date. He wasn't my blind date. So <laughs> <laughs> started out, you know, being different. Our story is very unique to us. Right. So did. Was it was it clear by the end of the night that you were the preferred person of the of the duo? <laughs> it was indeed. So we had a situation where Christy, my girl, my other girlfriend, uh, there was a gentleman uh, that came up to the table and asked me to dance. He was from South Carolina, perfect Southern gentleman, and he was only five five. Mm. So when I stood up, it was a very awkward dance. He yeah. was happy as a clam, if you can imagine. You know, the of that. and I was very uncomfortable. And Christy, my friend, is is five feet tall, uh-huh. and so when Jerry went to dance with her, it was really awkward. So we just kind of looked at each other, and and Mark, the gentleman, asked Christy if he wanted to dance. She wanted to dance, and she said yes. And he asked Jerry, "Is it okay that you know?" And we just kind of had that conversation. So we we kind of swapped dates. And I knew I knew it by the end of the night. I was like, "This guy is special." And um, I'm really hoping he thinks I'm special. And, uh, you know, I'd really like to, to see him again. And uh, back then we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have the Internet. So this is a totally different way of connecting with people. So he wrote me a postcard. <gasps> it arrived on Tuesday and I still have that postcard. Oh, my gosh. And he was talking about his history test and how he wanted to see me again. And that if he could call him Thursday night, because that's when he had phone hours and uh-huh. we was assigned phone hours at the at the bank of of pay phones there so i i coveted that phone my brother was dating and i'm like you can't talk to her from seven to eight o'clock like that's the time he's calling and of course he was on the phone with her and so i got on the phone and i was talking to his girlfriend directly i'm like virginia you have to get off the phone like jerry's calling from the naval academy and so she's like oh no problem so she hangs up the phone my brother's all upset with me and then the next ring, you know, happens. It was Jerry, and I was he was asking me down for uh, brunch on Sunday. And so I went, and he was not Catholic. He was Lutheran. And so I said, if I come down on Sunday, I have to go to Mass. And he's like, that's fine. I'm Lutheran. It's not that much of a difference. Well, <laughs> not to know that's not true. But, you know, he's like, I'll take you to Mass. So he, he went to his first Catholic Mass with me. Wow. I knew. I had an experience during Mass, and I was like, he's, he's the one. Really? Yep, I knew. I knew. I it was a direct answer to prayer for I had had some not so great dating experiences and about six months before this, I had uh I was downtown DC, you know, on a Friday night with other girlfriends and we just got ourselves kind of into a pickle that it could have ended really, really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh some gentlemen and well that weren't being gentlemen. And um I just didn't want to ever experience anything like that again. And so I had gone to church the next morning and I was like, Lord, if you want me to be married, if you want me to find this person, then you're just really going to have to put him right in front of me. I said, mm. I'm not chasing it anymore. And I was 18 years old and I was like, I'm not chasing it. Um, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be happy and you're going to bring him to me. And literally it was six months to the day that I met Jerry. And uh, yeah. And so that first Sunday, I just, I looked up at the altar during consecration and I saw myself in a wedding dress and Jerry standing there in his dress whites. Wow. I was like, oh, 
<laughs> and I thought, no, I'm projecting. Right, right, right. I'm dreaming. I'm like, I met this really cute naval officer to be, and I'm just like, oh, you know. And I kind of just tucked it away in my heart. And yeah. And we were married two years later. Wow. Yeah, see, because people kind of say, like, you know, when you know, you know, or, or or they'll say, like, I knew he was the one right at the beginning. And, and I always kind of think, well, I guess you don't really know that you're accurate until you walk down the aisle and then you know that that sort of, premonition or whatever you want to call it was, was accurate um but but I, I like what you said about kind of tucking it away you know yeah I talked to it he certainly didn't feel that way no I just <laughs> needed a ring dance date I needed a date for like my senior year like you were fun you were kind you thought I was funny yeah you were complimentary you you know you were you were great with my my his male uh company mates yeah because I had six brothers I knew how to be around mm. guys who love football and I love football and so it's very comfortable for me. So he's like, you were just a great date. I, I'm like, well, isn't that good that I just kind of tucked that away? Right. You know, over the course of, of that courtship, that dating, like we did not follow the rules. You know, we, I did not follow the rules as a Catholic. I mean, we did all the things you're not supposed to do. And, and we actually uh, ended up after graduation, I got pregnant with our first child and, and I ended up miscarrying that child. Oh. But Jerry stepped up in a huge way and, and was ready to, you know, he had his backpacks, he was in flight school, and he's like, I'm getting on a plane, I'm telling your parents, we're getting married. Like, there was no question Wow, what we're doing. So I knew, you know, if I didn't know before then, I knew at that point, I'm like, mm. this is a man who's going to you know, hold my heart for the rest of my life. So um, unfortunately, we, mis- we miscarried that child, but we were married nine months after that. Wow. So, um, yeah. Wow. Then, you know, we went off on our merry way in the grand adventure of being a Navy family. Oh my goodness! Um, you know, he was in flight school, so we were in. I, I grew up in Maryland, so we ended up in Florida, and then in California. Got pregnant with our son Jonathan in California, came back to Florida, and then delivered our son Jonathan in Maine, um, at NAS Brunswick there in Parkview Memorial Hospital. Yeah, Parkview, Maine, and um, and then we had another miscarriage, and then we had uh, our daughter Courtney. Okay, so what's the age difference between Jonathan and Courtney? About two and three quarter years. Okay, so pretty. <laughs> he was born in August. Yeah. Jonathan turned three in November. Okay, okay. So when you had Jonathan, were you, you said you were in Maine. So were you still in Maine when you got pregnant with Courtney or when you gave birth to Courtney? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was in, and then we left, uh, Jerry got a new set of orders and we left Maine when Courtney was five weeks old. Oh my gosh, okay. Wow. So... How long had you been married um, when you... We were married you, three and a half years. Okay, so when okay. when Courtney was born, we were, we were married four years. Gotcha. Okay, so we're still kind of in the early, early days. Oh, we're in the... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'd already been through... I know. Three, three deployments, three yeah. military deployments that lasted six to seven months each. So we weren't even... I wouldn't even say we were acting like a married family because I had spent so much time alone, Mm. you know, taking care of Jonathan while he was on deployment and then he'd come home for a certain amount of time and then leave. So we were kind of like, you know, two married people living singly. Right. Ships passing in the night. Nobody broke their marriage vows or anything like that, but we weren't, we were not really communicating well on financial issues. We weren't, I didn't know at the time I discovered um, when we were at our next duty station, that Jerry had brought an addiction to pornography into our marriage. Oh. And I myself was struggling with issues with food, with emotional overeating, kind of 
um, on the cusp of bulimia. Mm. And, and that was simply because both of us were now, we were, we were young. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought we knew everything. We knew nothing. We, you know, I had, I had uh, seven, uh, six younger siblings. So I knew what to do with the baby. I knew how to change a diaper. I knew how to do all these things. But I was never a mother. Yeah. You know, my mom was the mother. So, like, I, just the whole raising an infant not knowing, you know, and, and we were in Maine. His family is in Oklahoma. Mine's in Maryland. We were all on our own. Oh, my gosh. And again, without the internet, without, you know, we had just a regular phone. And I would call my mother once a week and be like, is this normal? Should I expect this? Like, what's happening? You know, we just didn't, we didn't, I had nobody to Google. Right, right. Gosh, that's so many overwhelming things to be dealing with at once, you know, to be married and you're very were, were you 20 yet or were you still in your team? I got married at 20. At 20. Uh, we got married at 20, a month shy of my 21st birthday. So oh when gosh. I had Jonathan, I was 22. And when I had Courtney, I was 25. Wow. And so, like, you knew, obviously, that you were, you know, dating a, a military man. Were you apprehensive at all about that lifestyle? Or were you just kind of like, sign me up? I was excited. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I thought we would travel all over the world. Uh-huh. He really wanted to you know, he had made a commitment to the military. He wanted it to be his career. He had aspirations of being captain and admiral, you know, of just kind of uh, climbing the ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love the pomp and circumstance of the military. At the time, it was, it's it's very different now. We've been married for 35 years. So mm-hmm. if I were going into the military today, I would feel very differently than I did then. But hmm. then you still had some of the old social rules, you know, um, there were, you know, with officers' wives, when you went to a new duty station, you'd meet with the captain's wife, and she would give you kind of the download on the duty station and where to shop and do all of those things. Now, uh, now that's very much you know Google. It's, huh, it's yeah, kind of been replaced. Yeah, but, um, I was excited. I I was excited to support him. Yeah, and to walk this walk with him. I was raised in a very traditional household. My mom stayed home with all eight of us, and my dad worked and. And mom took on sort of odd jobs throughout the years that she could do at home. So she was in her own little entrepreneur to kind of fill in those gaps that right. were filling. And so I was, I loved to, to, I was a home ec dream. I loved to bake and mm-hmm. sew and um, not a big fan of cleaning and dusting. <laughs> I got myself around that, you know, couldn't afford a house keeper. So, you know, we figured that out. Right. And, um, yeah, just, it was just everything I, I've always wanted it. You were to ask my mom, even to today, mm-hmm. you know, what did Mary Beth want to be? I was Mary Beth when I was growing up. What did Mary Beth want to be when she grew up? And my mom would say, I'm a wife and mom. Aww. That's what she always wanted to be. You know, all my siblings, my sister, they all had different professional dreams. I wanted to be a mom of many kids. And then I had children. And I had very challenging pregnancies. And mm. when Courtney was four weeks old, you know, Jerry was not Catholic again at the time. And I was not a very good Catholic. So out of fear, because of everything that had happened during our pregnancies and our two miscarriages, I ended my ability to have children. I got my tubes tied. Oh, wow. Years old. Oh, my gosh. So I made a, I made a decision. Mm. And if it's the one decision, both of us to this day, you know, you're not supposed to live in the sea of regret, but we regret mm. that. We regret oh. that. There should be many more little one of our you know. Wow. But we made a decision out of fear. Uh, at a young age and then a week later when we came uh down for a family wedding in maryland courtney was baptized and that was the day she had her first grandma seizure oh my gosh so um so for those first i guess few weeks of her life was there i guess 
she was just a picture of health. There was no indication that she would have any kind of challenges. No. She's wow. a chunky, bald, blue-eyed wonder, totally chill, very much different than her brother who came out talking and letting the world know that he had opinions <laughs> and running at, you know, five million miles a minute. Uh-huh. Uh, Jonathan had a, had a switch. He was either on or he was off. Yeah. Courtney was very chill from the beginning, mm-hmm. and I think the Lord gave me, she was a beautiful birth experience. Mm. Uh, he gave me those memories because he knew what was coming. Mm. And I, I needed a place of peace to kind of hang on to uh, when things got really tough. So, yeah, we had two very different children. And then when Courtney started having seizures, it was very unexpected. Um, wow. You know, here she is being baptized. And then by the end of that night, we're in the pediatric intensive care unit at the local military hospital um, wondering if she has a brain tumor. Or if oh, she's my gosh. Because her seizures were, were so bad. So it was literally in a blink of an eye that everything changed. Wow. So was she just having like one after another? Yeah. Oh my she gosh. Would have what we, we ended up calling them rolling seizures. Uh-huh. I don't know what the official term is, but right. that's the layman's right. term as we call it, where she would have a grandma seizure for 15, 20 minutes. She would stop breathing in the beginning mm. for about 30 seconds. And then she'd take a breath and continue to have that gyration of her body, foaming at the mouth, all mm. of that um, for a good 15 minutes. And for a little person like that, you know, your heart rate is affected, your blood, sugar, oh my uh, gosh. blood pressure is affected. It's just, it's just very terrifying. And then you, they can only give so much medication before you begin to shut down those systems. Wow. So um, we were in the hospital for a week and they couldn't figure out what the source of the seizures was. Um, and so we went home with this medication and we continued that way for like the next seven months. She just sort of had seizures and we just sort of dealt with it. And we were under, you know, neurology team's care, pediatric specialty care, a lung specialist. By the time she was seven months old, we had more specialists than we did regular physicians. And then we gave her a medication at seven months old that um, we did not know at the time she was allergic to one of the components of the medication. She's allergic to steroids. Wow. And so on the third day of giving her that medication, she had a brain stem seizure. And so she lost all form of development. We almost, her kidney shut down, her liver was damaged, and, and we almost lost her. And the little girl we brought home from the hospital after that stay was uh, a different little girl. Oh, my gosh. She was gosh. blind. Uh, she would never walk. She would never talk. Uh, when she passed away at the age of 22, she uh, was basically a nine-month-old baby in a five-foot-eight adult body. Wow. Um, beautiful blue eyes and Shirley Temple curls, blonde hair. And uh, a fiery, spicy personality. But, yeah, <laughs> that day uh, we thought, you know, our life was already challenging, and and then it got more challenging. Mm-hmm. And uh, from that point on, uh, with my husband's military career, because we had a special needs child, we entered what they call the exceptional family member program. So that means we had to pick a coast, so we could either do our our time on the west coast or the east coast. Uh, if Jerry went overseas, he would have to go unaccompanied uh, mm-hmm. because there was no medical care for Courtney that was sufficient overseas. Yeah. So that basically kind of put a stop to his military career. And um, he ended up leaving the military after 12 years of active duty when Courtney was six. Wow. And um, that was a decision he made, one of those decisions he made without consulting his wife. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. He basically went in, he saw his, he, he had talked to his detailer and he saw his, um, his schedule for the next three years. And it was pretty much, 
in and out deployments at mm-hmm. that time because we were in Desert Storm at that time. Mm-hmm. So um, resigned his commission as a lieutenant, um, yeah, lieutenant commander. So he resigned his commission, came home, and he's like, okay, we got 45 days. And I said, oh, where are we going? And he's like, well, we're leaving the Navy. Oh, my gosh. Okay, where are we going? And he's like, well, wherever the job takes us. So he got a job within two, three weeks, and it was here in Northern Virginia, and this was close by to my family. Um, There really wasn't anything available out in the Midwest at the time by his family, so we chose here. And, of course, we have some of the best Johns Hopkins, um, Mount Sinai Hospital. You know, you have some of the the best hospitals in the world Mm -hmm. here on the East Coast. So um, Philadelphia Children's was right up the road, things like that. So... Yeah, we, um, we got out, and that's pretty much, I would say those last five years of the Navy uh, were when all the addictions came to be. Mm. Like we, we identified them. They were fully blown, mm-hmm. wide open. Um, because I was in a mental and emotional place where I didn't feel like I could uh, take care of my kids on my own, mm-hmm. I basically fell into the addiction of pornography with him. Mm. I was too afraid to challenge him mm. to change. I thought he would leave me. Mm. And so my lack of confidence in God and in myself uh, really deeply affected our lives for uh, probably another seven years. Wow. And then there came a moment where um, just I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said, "Enough." I said, enough is enough. You know, you have to choose. You have to choose your addiction or you choose your, your, your life. Mm. And by the grace of God in that moment, he felt very convicted and you know, he felt like he was um, bound to that addiction as well, and he wanted freedom. So we began this process of kind of walking out of that, and that started, you know, really in earnest. We had kind of begun at the end of the last few years in the Navy, but when we landed here and we met our best friends, Christine and Marks, um, they were a few years younger than us, but they had been through some things in their life, and we met them at church, and they were the first people we could be honest with wow who we were as a couple and what we were facing and what was affecting us and they they never flinched wow uh, they were completely gift from the lord and they ended up walking with us to freedom so and 24 years later you know they're still right here wow that's that's such a gift and that's such a, a rare gift too because i think and and i don't know if it's just now especially in the age of kind of social media but i think married couples are very reluctant to kind of let people into their their marriage they kind of keep things tight under wraps um you know i mean really probably just out of fear of of shame and exposure um but like what a shame is a big one yeah shame is a is a high motivating factor yeah and and you have to be able to trust people like i first met them you know i didn't know we could trust them like that sure but god sort of wove into that relationship um that trust it came in yeah. time within the first year of us knowing them um, that we were able to share but um, they were also people that had tremendous empathy mm. and empathy is what combats shame directly it's it's the exact uh, it's what heals shame right to be able to listen and hold space for someone's story and for their mistakes and the good and the bad and to be able to hold that space without judgment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like they held our feet to the fire. They challenged us to get, uh, you know, we got marriage counseling. We had individual counseling. We both had spiritual directors. I mean, they didn't like say, oh, okay, we'll just listen to you. Right. They came along beside us as good, true friends do. 
and and they walked with us through some really challenging challenging times and we you know as parents we were struggling with our son mm-hmm. um, because all of our attention had gone to our daughter and mm. here's this young man who just wants to be seen known and loved for himself and you know and so where does he fit into the picture and it was just you know there's a lot of trauma and drama yeah. that happens in families where there's there's one that has special needs and i and i use that term you know it's not a very politically correct term anymore but i use it because her needs were special oh sure unique to her for sure and um just like jonathan's needs were unique to him so um it was really hard it was a very hard season in our marriage um we were sleeping in the same bed but there was no connection mm. between the two of us mm. and the thing we were determined to do was not quit not quit mm. on our children and not quit other and that really when you make that decision to just go all in to whatever has to be done you know whatever work internally you have to do whatever work you have to do as a couple when you make that decision and you ask the lord into that decision because what we had done was kick him out mm. we kicked him out of our bedroom and we kicked him out of our marriage and and when you kick god out of your marriage there's another person waiting to take his spot he's really happy to have you live in chaos and confusion mm-hmm and um real happy and mm-hmm. he was dancing all over us wow. and so you know it's just my husband likes to say satan get off my lawn so <laughs> the office he got off our lawn but then that left the wounded people there who mm-hmm. had to rebuild their marriage um and it was through the teachings of theology of the body and um we went up and spent a week with christopher west and oh wow black rock pennsylvania in 2007 and um that was a, a huge turning point for us. Also, we had an opportunity in, in the year 2000 to take our daughter to Lourdes on a healing pilgrimage. Wow. And that, again, was a, like a surrender to the Lord, you know? Um, and, and things happened there that kind of moved our hearts in a way that we kept turning to Him. Mm. You know, it wasn't perfect. It was, it, we called it brutiful. It was. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Brutiful. It was really a brutiful time in our right, marriage. And, right. You know, when you said at the beginning of the podcast, you're like, you guys seem to have fun together. We've earned that. Mm. We've worked on that. Wow. Um, I love my husband more today than I ever thought was possible. And wow. I know him very, very well. I know his weaknesses. I know what he loves from what the food that he loves to the shows that he loves to watch to the books that he loves to read. I, I know him. But yet, I'm still discovering things about him. Like yesterday, we were, um, he was very complimentary. And Jerry is, uh, he's not a gushy guy, uh-huh. you know, so he's not, I wouldn't call him very romantic. He's in his own way. Sure, he's yeah. Like flowers and candy romantic. Right, right, right. He's not going to write you a poem. Uh-huh. But he will do the dishes. And uh-huh. he will get up at 3 a.m. with a sick baby. And he did all of that. So his romance is a little different than what the Hallmark Channel tells you. Mm-hmm. But yesterday he was like, he always opens my doors. He's a gentleman. He's, he's a Navy man. He's trained well. Um, but he just looked at me and he goes, you look absolutely beautiful today. And I, it just took my breath away. I was like, oh, well, thank you. You know, I was like, <laughs> this is the best day ever. Wow. And, you know, and it's not like he, he withholds that. He just, it doesn't come to him right. like that. Right, right. Right? And, and I'm a person, like, my love language is words of encouragement. So, mm. Mm. I'm like, words of affirmation. I'm like, come on. You're like, I'm, I'm hungry. Eat him up. <laughs> I'm hungry. Let's go. And so the Lord has challenged him. Like, wow. we are complete opposites on the personality scale. When we started marriage counseling, <laughs> we took the all sorts of, like, personality oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. things. 
And uh, so we take them and then we come back a week later and the counselor is just shaking his head. And he's like, you know, if you were to come to me for premarital counseling, I would tell you to turn around and walk away and not do it. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm like, well, we're, we're, we're here now. He goes, I have never met a couple that is so polar opposite from one another that you actually do not communicate on the first or second level of communication. You communicate on the third. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> well, like there's, you know, you have compatibility uh -huh. that you're compatible with. So we, we, that words of affirmation, mm -hmm. like if you were to put it in a love language, mm -hmm. that's where we, that's where we communicate. Mm -hmm. Like one of Jerry's great needs in life is encouragement, words of affirmation. So is mine. Mm -hmm. Right. But his number one is service. Mm. He shows his love and service. My number one is I show my love in gift giving. Mm. Okay. Jerry can't give a gift to save his life. God bless him. But he just, like, he's going shopping with my best friend for Christmas. Uh, oh. Please, please, please don't make me come up with something on my own. I'm just going to take Christine, and we're going to have coffee, and she's going to tell me what to do. And I'm like, okay. That's great. my best friend knows my list, you know? But, like, he's learned that. Like, that's not his gift, but he's learned to figure out how to pour into me. Mm -hmm. And that took a lot of those are there were a lot of tears, a lot of arguments, a lot of quiet nights where both of us were stubborn and not talking mm. to each other. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it didn't just happen overnight. It takes time. When, when trust is broken in a marriage, it takes time mm -hmm. and concentrated, intentional effort to rebuild it. And you start, you, you, you start and you end at the cross. You start mm. and you end with the Lord because without him, nothing happens. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, though, just to back up, like, if you have these sort of personality incompatibilities, um, like, how do you sort of fall in love in the first place? You know, like, what is kind of the, the spark or the glue that, like, makes you want to be together if there seems to be this, like, mismatch? <laughs> he was, okay, so we talk about that. Yeah. We talk about that all the time. I'm like, why did you choose me? <laughs> you know? And we are both very clear about it. Jerry was funny. Uh-huh. He was, he, he just drew you in. He made me laugh, which is really important. Mm -hmm. He can make me laugh. I like the day we buried our daughter. I mm. am laughing. <gasps> wow. It's only one person wow. that can do that. And that's my husband. Yeah. Um, and so he made me laugh, but he also made me feel like I'm 5'10". Mm -hmm. Okay. I am not, I'm a plus size woman. I've always been on a little bit on the, the, the fuller side of life, mm -hmm. full personality, full body, the whole thing. <laughs> And Jerry can make me feel dainty and feminine mm. and delicate. Yeah. And I can't really explain it other than he is the one God chose for me. Mm. You know, he makes me feel seen and known and loved, but he's also the person that can hurt me the deepest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we had, and, and for me, um, you know, I, he, what he says, he said, I laughed at every joke. <laughs> I was, they love that. Guys like, love that. <laughs> they love it. And he goes, and you just, you would look at me, and the way you would look at me with your eyes, like, starry, like, I was the, I was the only man in the room. Like, it was all about me. Mm -hmm. And he goes, and you still do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at me, and all I see is the possibility of who I could be. Wow. And so that's what we were attracted to. And as far as the, the personality sort of incompatibility, I thought it was a challenge. I was yeah. 18 years old and I'm like, I'm going to fix this. 
And he, you know, he thought the, the same way. Like, the way we look at money is completely different. Mm-hmm. But that's the one thing we're still... <laughs> still working on. <laughs> we, just, we just can't seem to... Neither one of us is willing to completely surrender how we handle it. And so we still need help with that and that communication around that topic. But, um, you know, it, those are the two things, you know, in marriage that, that they say always get you, sex and money, mm-hmm. right? Like that intimate life. And the other thing about intimacy is it's not about... It's really not about sex. It's about everything else. Mm. Like what is going to make you feel so loved that you're going to walk into the most intimate act that a man and woman can do and be with one another? You have to feel trust. You have mm-hmm. to feel safe. You have to be feel seen and beautiful and loved. I mean, there's so many things. And, and so when that trust is broken in the most intimate way, when you feel objectified and used, it takes a lot of effort to and a lot of forgiveness you know yeah. we're very good at truly forgiving the other we've learned how to um we don't say i'm sorry hmm. in our house really i look at him and i say no nope. i say i ask for your forgiveness oh um, i'm so sorry that that happened i asked for your forgiveness that i said it that way or whatever because if the see when you offer forgiveness like that there is a possibility that he will not accept it yeah you will not give it. And that always, it makes it very powerful because that always leaves that open, right? And so when I ask for forgiveness, there have been times when it's taken two or three days for him to come back to me and say, I forgave you, but we need to change X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and same for me. So that's why I think it's so much more powerful than I'm sorry. But, you know, through all of this, we had our beautiful Courtney. Yeah. And we had Jonathan. And so here's these two kids who, you know, they're kids. They can't take care of themselves. They need their parents on game. And, um, you know, Jonathan really took care of himself for a lot of his growing up years. He's very independent. Uh, he taught himself to read at four. Oh, my gosh. You know, he just, yeah, he's just a brilliant young man. And, um, but he was very, uh, I think he was very lonely. Mm. And, um, and he took care of his sister. As an adult, he came back to us, and he's like, you know, you loved her more than me. Oh, and and that's that's very common. It's oh. very common. I remember going to family therapy when he was in his early uh, late teens, early twenties, and uh, I remember one therapy session, and you know uh, the doctor was like, "Okay, he's going to say some things, and they might hurt." And I knew what he was going to say. I'm his mother. I know him. You know, and and there's nothing I can do to fix that. You know, there's nothing I I can't go back and fix the mistakes we made. What I can do now is pour into him as an adult and and love him where he's at and and ask for his forgiveness for what we did well and you know or or, pardon me what we did you know wrongly Mm -hmm. and and we're in a good place you know it's 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 that's what life that's what happens in life right as you walk this path with with children like they're little babies one day and then they're teenagers challenging (laughs) everything about what you have told them to be good and true and then they're young young adults and, and adults that go on to marry and, and begin their own families and and they're going to do it their way and, and that's beautiful but it was really hard for him it was really hard for him and then Courtney you know Courtney was the one who showed us the face of God wow she saved our marriage I truly believe really that. Um, because we became a team around her you know we had something to fight for it wasn't just Mary and Jerry fighting for Mary and Jerry I don't think at that point we really felt like we were worth fighting for but our children, our daughter and our son, they were worth fighting for. Wow. They had done nothing wrong in this 
know, it was their parents that were so lost. So I attribute my marriage and my friendship and, and, and my life today and the woman that I am today and the man that my husband is today and the man that my son is today to the influence of Courtney. And wow. just this uh, the life lesson of, of unconditional love. You know, there's nothing Courtney could do to earn our love. And it mirrored the love that God the Father has for us. There's nothing we can do to earn his love. It's just freely given. Mm-hmm. And uh, Courtney did the same. She just freely gave that love. That's That was her job, was to love and to point us toward Christ. That's so amazing because I, and I think that um, people on the outside can, can kind of hear your story and then, and then think, oh, and on top of that, they have a daughter with disabilities, you know, and, and sort of point it as like, oh, it's just a burden. It's just like, another thing kind of pulling them down. And so to hear you saying like, no, that's the thing that pulled you up out of kind of the pit. Um, I think that's so remarkable. And it's, it, it's not what we would expect, which is like kind of a sign sometimes that it's God at work because he likes to do things we don't expect. Yeah, I call it a Bob Goff. He's a great Christian writer. He calls it the upside down economy of God. Mm. And I'm like, that is perfection. Mm. Because you, you take what we think is humans mm-hmm. and he flips it on its head, you know? And you're exactly right. The world looked at Courtney and only saw a burden. Mm-hmm. They saw hardship. Uh, I would pity. We got so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And after a while, it was, you know, it was offensive. And you yeah. would look at them and say, there is nothing to pity here because God does not make mistakes. He has allowed this for a purpose and a reason that I might not understand at that time, but one day I will. And Courtney has everything she needs to do what God placed her here to do. She was born into our family, for Jerry and myself, for our path to sanctification, for her brother's path to sanctification. You know, she was chosen as the second child. She was chosen to be a girl. I mean, that's all written outside of time. She was born on the feast of St. Helena of the Cross. Mm. She died on the the feast of St. John, the beloved. Oh. Only God writes that story. She never left the cross. This was a, you know, St. John was the one who didn't leave. Wow. He stayed yeah. with Our Lady. And, you know, you have that beautiful portrait of, um, I can't remember who, who painted it, but there's John. His head is on the Lord's chest, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the Last Supper. And this is where, that's what Courtney would always do. When I'd hold her in my arms, she'd put her head over my Aww. chest. Because just like a baby, a mother's heart rate regulates their heart rate. So she would need that after a seizure. She would she would come, I would hold her, and, and she would just rest, and she was safe, right? Wow. Just like Our Lady of Sorrows in the Pieta. Here she is. She has her son in her arms. And if you notice, her hands are not grasping him. Her hands are completely open, offering him to the Lord. And I knew way back when Courtney was just little, I knew we had to offer her back to God because our children are not our own. They belong mm-hmm. to the Lord. We just get to love them and teach them and nurture them for a while. And then they go off, right? They're not our forever. And so she forever belongs to God. And he asked us to give her back earlier than we planned. Wow. So to kind of go to the timeline a little bit, um, how old was she when these things in your marriage kind of came to a head and you had to start down a very intentional path of healing? She was probably, uh, when I go back, it's like four to five uh-huh. in there. So Jonathan was eight or nine. And um, and that's when we 
just everything busted. Yeah. Just, just busted. And it was like a volcano spilling hot lava and burning. Right. <laughs> That's it an image. Like, it was, oh, it was hell. It truly was hell. Mm-hmm. Because neither one of us knew how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But we had these two children that needed us. And we... We couldn't afford a divorce and there had been no divorce in our family. Like we, we just, we literally had our backs against a wall and that's when we had to choose. Like, are we going to fight for one another and for this family or are we going to live as roommates and, mm. and just do the best we can until we can afford a divorce? I mean, that's, that's what our decision was. Yeah. And, um, we're both pretty stubborn people and there had never been a divorce like yeah. In a couple of generations of our families. Yeah. And neither one of us really wanted to be kind of like, you know, <laughs> the first ones. Yeah. So, break the streak. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're big on shame. So we didn't want that. <laughs> we already had enough of that. Thank you. We needed, we needed to make a different decision. Yeah. And so for the, it was really over the course of the next 12 years. Wow. Um, the time she was six to the time she was 18, um, that we were intensely, in the time of rebuilding, restoring that trust, um, that friendship, uh, you know, that kind of culminated around like 2007, 2008 Mm -hmm. uh, is when we really were introduced to Theology of the Body. And then from that place forward, it just, you know, it's been in a place of healing. And I would say probably, about a year before, two years before she died, we really had come to a place of peace mm. with one another with our marriage. Um, we were happy. You know, everybody was doing well. Courtney was doing well. Jonathan was doing well. And we had about two years of really beautiful time as a family. And, uh, and then when she was 21, probably about three to four months into her 21st year, things started to happen. She got sick more often. Mm-hmm. Her seizures were harder to control. Um, you know, her liver was showing signs of distress, her kidneys. And so in September of 2014, uh, we went to the neurologist for the last time. And Dr. Santos had been with us for almost 14 years. And he was in tears and he's like, there's nothing else we can do. Oh, wow through all the medication we've done all the therapies and when i say we've done all the therapies i mean we've done all the eastern medicine the western Mm. medicine um anything that wasn't you know that the church didn't condemn right 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 (laughs) like we did homeopathy sure and there were some great things from all of those that really helped her but there was nothing else that we could that we could do her body was tired wow and um so we created a hospice program for her uh, here in our home, and uh, she was with us for three more months. And mm-hmm. during those three months, uh, it was really our advent. You know, we were walking toward Christmas, and uh, at this point, nine years ago, we were in the, the final weeks of her life, mm-hmm. and it was beautiful, and it was hard, and it was a gift to us to have that time to say goodbye to her and to to pour into her mm-hmm. and to allow the Lord to pour into us, to prepare us as a family to, to move on without her physical presence here. And um, I, I say all the time, you know, 
that Advent, we were preparing for Courtney's birth into heaven, mm. just as everybody else is preparing for you know Christ's birth here on earth. And um, it was kind of, again, the upside-down economy of God. She was going home. And um, it gave us time to, to prepare, I guess. Not that I don't, I, I don't think you can ever fully prepare to lose a child or sure. to lose a spouse or to have anyone close to you die. Um, you just can't. I mean, just one day they're here, the next day they're not. There's nothing that prepares you for that moment. But there were practical things that we could do. Mm-hmm. You know, my family, his family came and they were able to spend time with her. You know, we had, that's a gift. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look back at, at, at so many of our, our friends whose, you know, a husband would have a stroke or a heart, like car accident, just right. gone. Right. And here the Lord gave us three intentional months to really decide, you know, all the things that a lot of families have to decide in like seven days. Right. Where would she be buried? What would the funeral be like? You know, we chose a casket made by monks in Iowa. Uh, um, you know, things like, I mean, these are details that, that we cling to now. You know, we re- we talk about it now. Oh, do you remember, you know, um, like we forgot when we went to take care of the funeral costs, we forgot to have... Uh, you have to pay a, to have them dig the hole. Oh, <laughs> okay, hole. yeah. We didn't pay that. <gasps> like, the day before she was being married, they're like, oh, we need the payment to dig the hole. And I'm like, we didn't remember to dig the <laughs> hole. <laughs> like, laughing. We're like, oh, why not? We're going to go dig the hole. We're, and we're like, my brothers, I have six brothers, like, let's go dig the hole. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the Lord gave us these moments of levity mm. during the most devastating mm. walk we've ever been through. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he gave us time in our marriage. He gave us time to uh, to fix it. You know, it's like, fix it, Jesus. He fixed it. So that by the time we were standing at her grave, we were in a place of, of complete healing and restoration. Jerry had been sober for more than 10 years from mm. pornography. And I myself had been in complete remission from any of my uh, bulimic food issues for almost seven years. Mm-hmm. And praise the Lord, since her death, neither one of us have wow. gone back into that. And that certainly would have been the time. To that go Exactly. Familiar. Right. Yeah. But the Lord, and, and, you know, Courtney is our number one intercessor. Mm. And uh, as Jerry says, we don't want to, we don't want to piss her off. We don't want her to be upset with us because, <laughs> like, she's a saint in heaven. Yeah. And got some sway so yeah you know, yeah yeah just like hey court when that time comes you know just remember like mom and dad right we were there like you know we did the you know the whole diaper change you right. that? yeah all that <laughs> like if you could just remember how much mm-hmm. we loved you mm-hmm. go to go to the lord mm-hmm. and say yeah you should really let them in they, they, <laughs> they tried hard Yes, I'm sure she'll just flash, you know. If it works, yeah. Totally not theologically correct. I understand that. (laughs) This is what it's like in our house. We're just like, just save us a spot for it. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah, and and it is a testament to the healing that had taken place because, um, you know that when things are when things fall apart is when more things fall apart, right? Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) And so. you know, the, the two things, okay, so having a special needs child, mm-hmm. the, the current statistics are 
81% of all marriages that have children that require extra, like, you know, children in wheelchairs, autistic children, whatever that need is, 81% end in divorce. Wow. 81%. Wow. Okay. The statistic of those parents that have buried a child mm-hmm. is 67% mm. end in divorce. And I look at Jerry and I'm like, we didn't get divorced over Courtney. Yeah. We came close, definitely, yeah. at least twice. Yeah. But the Lord stayed with us and we humbled ourselves to receive mm. his help. That's huge. Humility, humiliation, we're really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but also, you know, burying a child. Yeah. Because men and women grieve very, very differently. Mm. You know, and I'll never forget, Courtney had been gone for probably two years and I was just really struggling. You know, grief is like a tidal wave coming from the ocean. It's either going to pull at your feet and just remind you, or it's going to knock you on your butt and you're going to be gasping for air, right? But you can't escape it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I recently heard that grief is all of the um, all the love you were never able to give. And that's a beautiful explanation wow. of grief, right? It's all the love you have inside of you that you just never could give them. So wow. it bottles up and then it has to go somewhere. And... Um, you know, I carried Courtney. Courtney was in my body for nine months. I delivered her, right? I nursed her. Uh, I cared for her. I was her primary caregiver for 22 years. You know, Jerry had to work. Somebody mm-hmm. had to pay the mortgage. Right. So his relationship with her was very different than my relationship. And so I remember about two years in, I was just really struggling and I was crying. And I'm just like, why, you know, why isn't it so hard for you? Why is it so hard for me? And he's like, I remember him holding me, and he's just like, because you were her mother. Mm. And her DNA remains with you to this day. You know, that's the beauty of carrying a child, is that when you have a child, a piece of their DNA stays with you mm. forever. So I have four different children's DNA in my body that I carry for my my life. Yeah, You know, and two I got to care for here on earth, and two I hope I get to meet in heaven. So... I just, you know, he's like, I don't have that. Mm. You know, they handed her to me. Right. It's a different, I protect her. Mm. You know, you nurture her. I mean, I nurture her in my own way, but like that bond between mother and, and child is just so different. So I really truly began to understand at that point that it was different, that it was uh, not the same way, you know, that, that men grieve. Um, I think Jerry sometimes grieves for me more than Wow. Grieves for Courtney because he knows Courtney's okay. Wow. Like, yeah. Hey, yeah. You know, she's in heaven. She's the, we did our job. Your job mm-hmm. is to pray your kids to heaven. Mm-hmm. And and that's where she is. No pressure on our other child, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Together there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Um, and, and when in this journey did Jerry become Catholic? So the beautiful thing about having children and raising them in the faith is that they have their own holy boldness. Okay? <laughs> so when Jonathan was nine or 10, somewhere in there, um, he had we had started homeschooling him when he was in the second grade because he was really, really smart and he was very bored in school. Mm-hmm. And Courtney could go to a special school where she could have therapy and things like that. So we chose to do it so that I would have time with him. So he got my attention. Yeah. And... Uh, 
we thrived until long division and then that kind of took us off course for a few years. We got there. Yeah. And so he was being catechized at home, you know, Mm -hmm. being prepared for the sacraments at home. And he had received his first communion and he was in, uh, I can't remember what they were preparing for. They were beginning the preparation here in our diocese. We were confirmed in the seventh, uh, in eighth grade. So they began around fourth or fifth grade to kind of introduce confirmation and so forth in the catechesis. Yeah. So I think he was just beginning with the, with the, uh, the catechesis understanding of confirmation. And we had been to Mass. And we're coming out of Mass. And um, Jerry had not gone to communion. I had gone to communion. Jonathan had gone to communion. But Jerry had not gone. And so uh, Jonathan, in his infinite wisdom, <laughs> stopped in the middle of the parking lot in between the 11 and 12 30 mass <laughs> cars coming in right now like you don't stop <laughs> parking lot like you move like your life depends on it right mm. there are catholics that have to get to mass this is not the place to have a, a catechetical argument right so he stops and he goes dad how come you don't go to communion and jerry being a military historian looks at him and goes, well, son, I'm Lutheran. And so in the 50, you know, he starts into this historical. <laughs> and Jonathan stomps his foot and puts his hands on his hips, just like my mother-in-law, Eleanor. He looked exactly like his grandmother in that moment. And he looked at his dad and he goes, Dad, that's Jesus. Why don't you love him? Wow. Wow. <laughs> Jerry was silent. And the next words, and I just kept, the Lord shut my mouth Mm. with cement. Mm. And I just kept walking with Courtney in the wheelchair toward the wheelchair van. I never, I heard the question and I kept walking. (laughs) And I was like, nope, this is between the two of them. And Jerry had no answer. He literally had no answer. And so it was really the history of the church, the fact that for 2,000 years, we have not strayed from what we have believed, that the foundations in the magisterium have remained the same. Um, it is really that foundation and this conversation with Jonathan and the future conversations that they would have uh, that brought him into the church a year later. Wow. Wow. That yeah. is beautiful. And and was he already Catholic when you all went to Lourdes? No. Uh, yes. Yes, he was. He was Catholic. Uh, he had been Catholic for a few months. Oh, my gosh. I remember us going to Lourdes. And, of course, Lourdes, I call it Catholic because it feels like that it does it's like the most catholic place you can be yes and everywhere you go our lady is watching you because there's mm-hmm. statues in every mm-hmm. window there's and he was creeped out he was like really just like <laughs> yeah he's like her eyes are on us oh like, my gosh yes they are because we're in lords right <laughs> so <clears throat> he was feeling very catholic and he was like i don't know if i'm catholic enough to and I said, dude, I was born into the faith and baptized as a baby. I'm not Catholic enough to be. Here. Okay, <laughs> so we're on even ground here. But yeah, he had, we both had a profound experience while we were there. Um, just, uh, it took us about four years to kind of walk through it uh-huh. and understand that, you know, our daughter had an understanding about her life. Mm. She knew what her purpose was. And uh, she needed her mom and dad to be her hands and feet. And, know it kind of changed how we um cared for her it changed how we lived our life we had sort of stayed home and were very quiet before then um after lords i you know she went with us everywhere we 
you know, we were no longer afraid to just live our life as openly and boldly as we could and to show the world that just because she was in a wheelchair didn't mean that she wasn't a human. Yeah. Love and needed um, to go for a walk in the sun and needed to, you know, sing with her brother in the car at the top of her lungs. Um, <laughs> of course, her she sounded like Chewbacca while he sounded, you know, yeah. he didn't say the words, but... You know, she communicated, you know, boldly. Right. She was a spicy. We used to call her pickle because she could be a sweet pickle or sour pickle. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> depending on the day. So <clears throat> her personality was big. And she never spoke words, but she communicated with us, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. and, and we learned what that was. Mm -hmm. um, she, like her, like all Lena Burks, uh, was very much on a schedule with food. <laughs> like if you were five minutes late with dinner, she let you know. So... <laughs> Um, you know, that was something that she shared with everybody else. Um, you know, she just, she hated having her hair brushed or washed. She hated peas. She would spit them right back at you. Um, she liked to have her, uh, no shoes on. Mm -hmm. So shoes were kind of like the bane of her existence. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, she... <laughs> Right. She, she had a full a full mask, personality. So. She was, a, you know, she was not just a, yeah. a you know, a, in a vegetative state. She was, yeah. There. And what's interesting is that through Courtney, I actually met other moms of kids with disabilities and, and through her school. And there were kids that could do, physically could do less than Courtney. Mm -hmm. And yet if you watched them and you really spent time with them, they communicated just as much as she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had to slow down to, to watch their body, to watch their eyes, and to listen, you know, to what they, their need was. Yeah. Um, and it, it just taught me that beautiful lesson that just because somebody doesn't look typical mm -hmm. doesn't mean there isn't a full human being inside of that body and they're, they're trying to, to tell you things. Yeah. And you just have to pay attention. Absolutely. Wow. So I want to start to wrap up and, and just ask you two more questions um, to kind of get some of your, your wisdom reflecting on these years. One, you had mentioned that you found theology of the body to be very healing to your marriage. Can you share a little bit about that and, and what really struck you about it? I will never forget on day three of theology of the body part one, like the uh -huh. first course, uh -huh. um, Christopher Buss was teaching and, and he was talking about the difference between love and lust mm -hmm. and it was the first time I had ever heard that that love is an action it's a choice that places the need of the other above your own need and it's a sacrifice willingly given mm -hmm. and that lust is to place your personal need above all else your personal pleasure above all else and I remember when I heard that it struck me that I had been a lustful human being mm. many times throughout my marriage and that I desired to be one who loved fully without condition. Now, the way it landed on my husband was very different. Um, what he heard was basically he had treated me like a prostitute. Mm. And that was something that was deeply wounding to him um, because it's not something he ever would think of. Like, just, he, I mean, he understood that that's what his actions were saying, but he never, he never thought that way about yeah. me. Um, 
but even though his actions said different. And so I remember after that session, we were out on the back porch and we had just gone to confession. And we had gone to confession with TORs, uh, Franciscan TORs, who had been uh, trained in kind of hearing sexual sin, like Mm. to be able to guide and Mm -hmm. um, people who were, you know, in the midst of addiction or coming out of addiction or what have you. So it was a very intense confession. We started from the beginning of the first time that you could ever remember committing a sexual sin. Wow. And so for me, it was it was it was life altering because I remember back in the seventh and eighth grade reading romance novels mm-hmm. and having those thoughts and you know sometimes acting on those thoughts and I'm like whoa. So here I had already had a pre um, precondition to. Mm-hmm to that, you know, I was already preconditioned for that. And then of course she walked through everything from getting her tubes tied and all of that. Mm. I confessed that before. So I, I knew I was forgiven of that, but you know, this was a very specific type of, of confession. And so he was, we were both in with our prospective priests for probably 40 minutes. Oh, wow. More. Like it was, it was a deep, deep conversation. And so we're standing on the back porch and he has tears in his eyes and Jerry is not a crier. And I was just, you know, I, I was giving him the space. I didn't say anything. I was thought, you know, if he has something to say, he'll say it. So I just asked the Holy Spirit to, again, snuff my mouth closed, Lord, let, let <laughs> me be quiet. Because I'm, I kind of probe and I ask a lot of questions. And uh, he put his hand on mine and he said, did, did I do that to you? And I, I'm like, do what to me? You know, and he's like, did I did you feel used and abused mm. like a prostitute? And I said, yes, I did. Mm. And he just, he broke down. Wow. So sorry. That was, I'm so very sorry. You know, and he asked for my forgiveness. And I had just been to confession. So there's nothing <laughs> that says, hey, let's, let's make this man pay some more. You know? Right, right, He's right. He's paid his whole life. Right. Uh, with addiction since he was 10 years old. Mm. I said, no. You know, of course I forgive you. Please forgive me for any time I was weak and I didn't stand strong for what was right. And I led, I was part of leading you down that path when I couldn't stand up for myself, you know? We are each other's path to sanctification. Mm. And so in that moment, we renewed our wedding vows, just the two of us. Oh my gosh. And um, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And the next time, you know, we were able to be intimate. It was beautiful. Mm. It was very different. Mm. Um, You know, when you come out of a season of addiction, You have to retrain your mind, Mm. how you speak to one another, how you think about one another, how you, how you make love to one another. Um, It's a completely different way of, it's the truth. It's the beauty of what it should be. And so we had, it took us time to learn how to be with one another in that way where the other felt loved and seen and there was no using, there was no abusing, there was no language that that was tempt you to, to think of a different thought you know and so we learned how to pray before we were uh, together and I know that sounds <laughs> like oh you wackadoodle <laughs> yeah you sure do when your marriage bed has been defiled you sure do mm. you we had our house blessed when we came home wow yeah we had, we had you know and when you have a house blessing it's a minor exorcism mm-hmm. so we were like you do all the things mm. you know um, we pray the prayer to St. Michael even now. Wow. We ask Our Lady um, of Sorrows. 
We ask, I ask our daughter, Jerry, thinks that's creepy, but Courtney <laughs> is beyond sexuality. So therefore, she's, you know, she's like, yeah, mom, I, I'll, I'll help Wow, wow. I'll help you stay on track, you know, because porn is, is an addiction of the of the imagination. It's mm. always with you. You will never, ever escape it, truly. Mm. I could call up a pornographic image or, or something that happened right now if I chose mm. to. Mm-hmm. And so you got to keep that on lockdown all the time, especially in intimate situations. So mm-hmm. it was just a totally new way to be with one another. And it's, and it was beautiful and the Lord has blessed it and he continues to bless it. And even in middle age, when everything that used to live in Connecticut lives in New Mexico, it's just like, it's just, you know, your body's change and, 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 but God is there and it's the beauty of two hearts meeting, you know? And, and it's different, but it's beautiful. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so we ask, you know, um, St. Mary Magdalene is one of our mm-hmm. intercessors. Yeah. We just ask them in and to protect that time. Mm-hmm. Because that's the closest as a married couple that we can get to heaven other than receiving our Lord. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's what that intimate time is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a walk in the garden. Mm-hmm. So when it's been defiled, it has to be replanted. It has to be regrown it has to be pruned and cared for in a beautiful way and, and that takes time yeah takes time and intention but the payoff is 35 years and being in a place of true joy and peace with one another yeah that's beautiful wow um and then just one last question you know people i'm, I'm not married yet and but a lot of my friends are kind of in the early stages of marriage but what would you say, and I know your son got married recently, what would you say to um, young married couples or couples preparing for the sacrament of marriage? You know, when you kind of look down from all you've been through, like what what, what would you say? To, yeah. There's two things. Number one, all blessing and all curse comes from the sacrament of marriage. Mm. Like the good and the bad comes from that sacrament. Obviously, all good comes from God, right? And the bad we choose to put there. Mm-hmm. So you have to be aware of that, right? Everything begins and ends in that sacrament once you have entered into it. So you have to place your marriage first, and that's the second thing. Mm-hmm. Marriage is not dating with benefits, okay? <laughs> Ask me how I know, because that's how I went into it. Mm. Marriage was not, I, I will never forget, it was like, I looked at Jerry and I'm like, we're legal, we can do all of these things, <laughs> no, that is not marriage. That is immature marriage. Mm. Um, your marriage must come first. Yes, mm-hmm. may God bless you with children. And if that is if infertility is a cross that you are being asked to bear, may you marry it to the cross, mm. okay? Um, because children are not a right, they're a blessing. And and it tears at my heart uh, on, on really bad days that I ended that for myself. God didn't end that for me. I took that because I didn't trust him. So, you know, marriage, uh, your marriage comes first, first and foremost. I know there will be seasons with children that will be very challenging. The first three months of a baby's life, you're not even going to know what day it is, Mm -hmm. especially as the mama. You're just not. And that's okay because that's a season and it doesn't end. And then the seasons of when you have to choose, are we going to give our Sundays to soccer or give our Sundays to the Lord? Those are hard seasons as well. Then the seasons of them challenging you, you know, as teens. If your marriage isn't rock solid, that is the best gift you can give to your children, is a solid marriage built on the foundation of our Lord, right? 
because every good thing comes from that. Even if you are imperfect parents, which by the way, you will be. <laughs> Even if you are imperfect with your spouse, by the way, you will be, you're human, right? But if you keep God at the center of your marriage, God at the center of your family, and you date your spouse, not date with privilege, right? Mm. But you date, like you take the time. When, when the children were young, we, we couldn't go out. We didn't have the money. We, you know, Courtney was having seizures. We didn't have anybody that was qualified to kind of sit with her that wouldn't be terrified. Mm-hmm. And so we had in-house dates. We put the kids to bed on a Friday night, 7.30, everybody was asleep. The worst time for Courtney was always between midnight and three. So I knew I had some time before her kind of nightly seizures would start. We do. We did charcuterie before <laughs> charcuterie was a thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jerry, we called it a meat and cheese place. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even know the name. And we'd, we'd watch a movie. Like, mm. we, back then, we had Blockbuster. Oh, All right, I'm dating. The glory now. days. No, no, that's the glory days. You know, you'd go and you'd rent a movie. And I'd come in. We'd have, I'd put a quilt down on the floor, candles lit. And we'd talk to each other, watch a movie, have our meat and cheese. If we, if it was, if it was a, a good time to be, you know, together, we were together. If not, it was just that that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard for parents to find that time to have those intimate conversations, mm-hmm. and you have to make the time. You have to be intentional. So I would say keep your keep God first and foremost. You know, keep your marriage, keep that sacrament protected. You know, the kids will leave you one day. Mm. That's what they're meant to do. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be at 30 years looking at your spouse going, who are you? Mm -hmm. And why did I marry you? (laughs) Yeah. Because the amount of divorces that are happening amongst our peers are astonishing. Oh, yeah. They've been together for 25, 30, 35, 40 years even. And they're divorcing because they have nothing in common anymore. Mm. No, don't divorce. Get to know your spouse again. Mm-hmm. Start over if you need to. But there's, you know, so that I think is really important for young married couples to remember, you know, and there are three people in your marriage. And that third person is not your mother-in-law. <laughs> the third person is Jesus. Yes. Be very clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. No, I think that's going to be so encouraging to people. And I'm just reminded of, there's this, you know, part of the the creed that we that is very mysterious, where we talk about Christ descending into hell, and and it's a very puzzling statement. But I but I think it's so important to highlight because, you know, you've you've kind of been through the pits of it, so to speak. But like, God is there. God goes into the pit with us. He he isn't just waiting for us on like Mount Tabor. Like he's in the pits of hell, and that is. Um, such a profound thing to remember, and and I think you 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 guys are a testament to that. That like Christ is with you, suffering through those moments and bringing you out of it. Oh, he wants you know God is faithful and true, mm-hmm. and and when you look in Scripture at the promises of God, that is the first one. I will never leave you. Mm-hmm. I have a plan for your life, and it is a good plan. It's for your good and my glory, and I will be with you through all of it. Yeah. And yes, we can question that, especially <laughs> if you're standing at a grave yeah. or you're in a counselor's office wondering if it's going to work. Yeah. But he is with you in all of those situations, and he will reveal the glory of it to you when it's time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see all the glory 
Mm-hmm. Um, I look forward to that one day where I get to see all the things. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, I'm going to see all the opportunities I miss too. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it goes, you know, joy and sorrow, hand in hand, good and bad, evil mm-hmm. and good. They, they walk hand in hand because of the fall. So, um, yeah, God is good. He's so good. And, and, you know, I said once to Jerry, I don't know if we're done. I don't think we're done suffering. I don't <laughs> think anybody's done suffering until... The end, you know, your last breath. Jerry always gets mad when I say that because he's like, would you stop saying that? Right, right, right. (laughs) You're inviting more. I'm like, no, no, we don't believe in karma. We don't believe in that stuff. That's not what we believe. But I just think when you can can finally, I think the the secret, if there's a big secret, Mm -hmm. it's the one that St. Therese of Lazoo taught us, you know, she suffered with joy. Mm -hmm. And, And there's a lot of hurt and harm out in the world. And if we can just take that suffering on and walk as Christ taught us to walk, you know, remember, if you look at the Via Della Rosa, he fell three times, mm-hmm. but he got back up again. Mm-hmm. He had moments of empathy and compassion with Veronica. Simon came along and held the cross with him, right? He didn't do it alone. Exactly. Now, in the end, when it came to our salvation, yeah, that was all on him. Mm-hmm. But he taught us how to walk through this life. You're going to fall. Get back up seek encouragement, take a rest, ask someone to help. But in the end, it's you and me. Mm-hmm. And we got this. Mm-hmm. It's you and Jesus. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for, for your time and just for your vulnerability and uh, being courageous and sharing all that you've been through. I know it's going to really uplift a lot of people. So thank you so much for, for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me, my friend. It was a true joy. Beautiful. And um, people, where can people find you if they want to uh, get in touch with you or hear more about your work? Well, they can find me at marylonneberg.com. Uh, if they have uh, a retreat or a parish mission or a women's conference of some kind and they want me to come speak, you can find all the information there. Um, and most of my social media time is spent on Instagram. It's kind of where I, I love to be. So you're welcome to join me there anytime. We have a lot of fun. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you so much for having me.